Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Out of the Cave podcast. This podcast, you, you could say it's about a lot of things, but really the real purpose of this podcast is a way for me to have conversations with people I find interesting and want to speak with. I've always been interested in what it means to be a man, personality, relationships, morality, the existence of God, and a bunch of other topics in that same vein. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations and take something away like I will. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Dr. Thompson, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. That's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Vince. So I was looking at your book. I came across my, uh, my desk recently, Rules for Gentlemen, A Code of Chivalry, and it definitely piqued my interest, and, uh, and I wanted to kind of dive into this, this book and your background. But let's go back to the beginning. So how did you even discover the Code of St. Benedict? The Rule of St. Benedict, um, ooh, I was very young. Uh, when I was first introduced to that, I, I suppose in many ways I stumbled upon it, uh, or at least portions of it. What, uh, what, what I first encountered, I was probably nine, ten years old, or thereabouts, um, and just came upon a, a portion of it, that the, the portion of the rule of St. Benedict that's known as the tools for, uh, commonly, commonly translated as the tools for good works, or something like that. Um, I, in, in my new translation, uh, of, I did of the rule recently, and then a, a, um, which was the inspiration, the foundation for, uh, the rules for gentlemen, a code of chivalry, uh, the, what I've translated that is, is, is the tools for living well, uh, and because it's essentially, essentially what it is, right? Here are the basic components for how to live a good life. How do you actually craft a good life? And, and. St. Benedict, Benedict of Nursia, who was a, a man who lived around the time of the fall of the Roman Empire, uh, the fifth century, or uh, depending how you're counting that, uh, in the 500s, anyway. Um, and he, he went to university in Rome. He's from a, a small little town, a, a town, uh, one of a noble family, in Norcia, in Umbria, it's in central Italy in the mountains, it's in a valley in the mountains. And he went, essentially went to university in Rome uh, but then saw the decadence of city life at the time and then went off to become a hermit. He said he went to live as a hermit in the wilderness. Uh, just a little background uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with, with, uh, with Benedict of Nursia. And, and he eventually becomes a monk, properly speaking, uh, and, and uh, through a series of events in his life, finds himself in charge of a monastery. Uh, uh, this is sort of after, after a couple of failures of running a community where he gets elected as, as, as their, their leader, their abbot, he, he takes a contingent and goes off to create their own monastery. And over time, he writes what he calls the rule for monks or the rule for beginners, uh, really. He says it's a rule for beginners of here's, here's how to order your life if you want to pursue God. If you really want to seek God, this is the way to orient your life to become a true man. Uh, and this, uh, this applies to women as well. Uh, he's just to be a true woman. So there's monasteries of women uh, grow out of this as well. I mean, his own sister, he has a twin sister uh, who becomes the leader of this whole women's uh, side of the monastic movement in the West. And, and so the rule of St. Benedict, uh, particularly in this part, the rules, the, the tools for good works, he, you know, he lays it out as a, in terms of being a craftsman. And you have to craft a good life. Well, here's, here's the tools for crafting a good life. And here's how we do that. And so he lists it on. And that was my, probably my first exposure to that, was seeing that in a pamphlet uh, somewhere. I, I, don't, I don't recall exactly how or why, what the context was uh, that that sort of providentially came to me, um, uh, that I came across that. But, but then eventually I, 
I grew to know the rule a little more uh, to be exposed to it. And then when I was in college, I was in seminary. So I was studying to be a priest for a time. I'm not a priest. Uh, you know, realized that that was not my calling uh, at, at the time. But for a few years, I was in seminary and I was studying in Rome. And I went on a, a pilgrimage of sorts. I went on a retreat. I went to go stay at a monastery in Norcia, in Norcia, where, the, the, where St. Benedict was born. There's a monastery that was built on his, uh, his home, the place where he was born. Uh, and the monks are there actually until the earthquake in 2016. They've now relocated outside of the town because the monastery was, was effectively destroyed. Nothing but the facade was left standing of the, uh, the monastery chapel. Um, beautiful place though it was, uh, and hopefully they can reconstruct it again. But the the uh, the the prior there, or the he's prior now. He was sub prior at the time. He was going to be the vice president, if you will, of the monastery there. Uh, Father Benedict gave me a copy of the rule. And it was really my first official copy of the rule that I received, and so that's where re- that had a really profound impact on me. Not only reading it, but being able to see it lived, see it lived out in that context, these men who've dedicated themselves to this particular way of, of, of crafting a good life, uh, of seeking God. And so I lived with them for about a week, uh, participating in their life in, in a small way, uh, and then came, came away from that, I guess uh, you could say, more, more, more deeply informed about the rule by personal experience um, and, and have uh, continued to study it continue to study it since then but i'd say it's uh, the the rule of saint benedict that the uh the rules for gentlemen uh, that i wrote is based on uh, has been a formative influence in my life from from the time i was very very young gotcha and the rule of saint benedict it's really about how to gain mastery of yourself is that correct essentially yeah i mean it's 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 how to begin anyway uh so he he closes St. Benedict closes the rule, what we, you know, we refer to as the rule, right? If you want to think about it, it's essentially kind of, I don't, you know, maybe we'd put it on the bookshelves in the category of a self-help book, but um, he's writing to, to people who want to, you know, who are dissatisfied with society that, he find, that they find themselves in, uh, and they want to pursue something more substantial. And he's, of course, explicitly talking about He's explicitly presuming or seeking God. Right? That's that's the only real qualification for entrance. He says into a monastery is that somebody that they're at least sincerely seeking God. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be good. They just have to be sincerely seeking God. Um, and and so he writes this rule. Yeah, it's 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 about how to begin. He 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 closes the rule saying that this is just a rule for beginners. The whole summary of how to of how to craft a good life is not here. These are just the beginning tools. And he says if you want to find more resources, go ahead and see. Uh, the writings of John Cassian, who lived uh, you know, a few hundred years earlier than him, uh, St. Basil, uh, Basil of Caesarea. He writes some great things. Of course, read the Holy Scriptures and these other writings and documents and things like that. Of course, it's practice. That's the key thing. He lays out the foundations for practice because fundamentally self-mastery, um, uh, really, really attaining to becoming master of yourself and your uh, environment, what you do, is uh, is about practice. It's not about knowing something, merely information, but you have to be trained. And so if you have the at least the principles of practice, um, then you can begin to put those things into practice. And there's a lot you learn while you go uh, uh, through doing, right? You become a better piano player by sitting down and playing the piano. You learn some basics of chords and arpeggios and whatnot. And you, you just, you sit down and you practice. 
Uh, and it's the same approach to, to life, to crafting a good life, uh, is to, to put these things into practice. So he lays out the, the beginnings of how to do that, yeah. Okay, so what would be some examples of some of the, the basics, I guess, that St. Benedict lays out here? The, at the core of it, ben, so a very interesting thing is about the placement of, within the rule. Within the rule um, he places this chapter on humility. and He gives us the first 12-step program uh, ever in recorded history is these 12 he says that the uh the path is is humility it's a 12-step program to self-mastery centered around the notion of humility uh and now there's a lot of perhaps hang-ups about the word humility that we have today uh due to sort of the philosophical paradigm of the world that we live in the, the, the recent history of the last three four hundred years around that concept but he's writing very clearly, humility corresponds something a, a lot more akin to what we would call authenticity, or authenticity or self mastery, uh, and and he he gives us twelve steps of a ladder. He frames it up in terms of a ladder that you climb, that you you climb the ladder by descending, as it were, to to reality. Right, not being pride proud, ascending up the ladder. You know we. We, we you know, to, to put oneself up higher than you really are would be pride. But to lower yourself down to the ground, so your feet on the ground is humility. Uh, and you actually ascend the ladder through descending. So he sets it up kind of paradoxically, this notion of rising and falling, of ascending and descending. He says it's a ladder or a staircase. And the two, two handrails, as you were, the two side poles of the ladder or handrails of the staircase are the body and soul. So this incorporates both of these. And he says, and, and this path to self-mastery, to authenticity, to truly being who you are meant to be, your true self, fully developed, which is not something you discover, by the way. It's something you become. Uh, if you ever look at the, there's a great little children's story that many people are familiar with, of course, is the Velveteen Rabbit. Uh, the, the quest, the, the, the Velveteen Rabbit is this toy. It's on the quest to become real, right? He wants to be real. And he discovers that it's not something that you are born being, but it's something you become. Uh, and it's something that entails often much hard work and much suffering to become real. Uh, and and he, at the end, he attains this, he, he becomes real. But that's a side note, but that's a, a beautiful little uh, children's story to look at about this notion of becoming real. Uh, and so becoming your real self, who you were meant to be, this is the, this is the work of humility. This is what humility is about. And uh, the, you know, similar, similarly, one could say that the Stoic term for, for authentic, the Stoic term authenticity means self-mastery, authenticos, to be owner of yourself, to be master of yourself. Uh, and so he lays out these 14 rungs of the ladder or 14 steps of the staircase that we have to ascend in order to become humble, to, to really develop the skill, of, to really become master of ourselves. Uh, and so I'd say that's, that's at the heart of it. That's at the core of it, that all, everything else in the rule revolves around. Now, the, the, the rule is not an individualistic thing, right? Benedict is writing for uh, persons living in a community of other persons. So it's a social, it's a, it's a lot of what is in the rule is organized around, is oriented towards social organization and relationships just as much as it is about interior transformation. Uh, in fact, the bulk of it is, is perhaps more oriented toward, more, more or less the bulk of it is oriented towards social organization, how to structure a community, how to structure an organization, how to lead. Huge, huge, uh, res hugely important resource for leadership, uh, how to relate to other people, how to govern a community, 
but all of that flows out of governance of yourself. And that's that core humility that he lays out those 12 rungs of the ladder that we have to climb continually. We, we go up and down the ladder. And what I've found in my own research as a psychologist is that these really are sort of step-by-step instructions in terms of very concrete particular skills that you develop in sequence, just like you might in any other um, exercise. You want to become skilled at whatever thing it is. You practice certain kinds of exercises in a certain sequence uh, to allow you to actually ascend then to the next level. Uh, And then you move back down and back up again because it's a never-ending cycle. Interesting. So you have to go in order and you have to do it many times. Yeah. And I I would say less than you, not so much that you have to go in order. It's a bit legalistic in that way, but you'll find that when you practice, say, the first step, uh, that issues with challenges with the second step so, uh, uh, become more apparent to you. You start to run up against them. But because you've practiced, you've developed that first level skill, you're able to now begin to surmount that second level, something that hadn't appeared before. And in practicing that second level skill, you will begin to find that the third level skill starts to show up. It's something you bump up against. But over time, now you're equipped to actually deal with that. So rather than to jump in and say with uh, something like um, step six is, and this is, the, the numbering is actually in reverse order to the way that you practice it because he's counting from the top, from the summit down when he lays it out. Um, and, and I provide both versions of that in, in the rule for gentlemen that uh, in both orders, reverse order and, and, the, and the, the order of practice, but he, you know, so, so, so step six as he lays it out, which is to be content in all things, you know, whether or not you, you've got, you know, inadequate means, uh, shabby dwelling, uh, you're living in a college dorm apartment that's infested with rats and you get 10 other people living with you, something like this. He's like, okay, but right. But to be content in that, to still be able to be authentic and to function, um, and to, to maybe even flourish in those kind of circumstances. So that's like step six which in reverse order, I mean, it's, it's above the middle anyway, right? So 12 is six, it's right in the middle. So rather than jump in right with that and say, oh, I'm going to learn how to be content with things. He's like, no, no, there's a whole process of letting go that leads up to that before you're actually capable of doing that authentically. And the first step is about maintaining the presence of mind in what you're doing, just being present in where you are, trying to carve away some of these distractions, carve away the constant distract, uh, distractions in your life to begin to become aware of what you're doing when you're doing it. And then you start to progress through things like uh, sincerity in, in the way that you speak to other people, uh, what you speak about. And then we start to maybe talk about silence and being, we don't even start with silence, learning how to listen. You start with just being awake to what you're doing right now. So very, very um, granular, very, very, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Not perhaps reverse engineer. So he reverse engineers self-mastery, breaks it down to here is step one. It's the most basic, simple thing that allows you to move into two, three, four, and so on. So what would St. Benedict say then is the, uh, like Plato, the the form, I guess, of self-mastery. Like once you kind of ascended the ladder, to this, to this bottom level? Like, what does that person look like as they go through those steps? It, there's, there's essentially three, I think that's a great question. The, um, as I've found it, there's essentially three stages, uh, you know, I say there's four steps in each of the three stages, which we said very well, this is very, um, he, he crafted this very, very well. 
but the the three stages essentially are self ex, self um, self knowledge. So the first four steps of the ladder of humility, you are growing in self knowledge, and you're overcoming certain anxieties to do that, and that's a process of letting go. And the second stage, you're growing in self acceptance. And that is, again, a process of letting go, but at a deeper interior level. And then at the third stage, you're growing in the capacity for self-gift. You're starting to really deny yourself, denying your own. So the, the final stage focuses on transparency, patience, obedience, overcoming your own whims, your own willfulness, letting go of that. Uh, and then ultimately uh, entering into the, the fear of the Lord, having recognizing that there's something bigger than yourself. Uh, to whom you're accountable, that you've got a mission that's bigger than you. And so really ab abnegating your own self-interests to accomplish something greater. And so Benedict lays out at the summit of this then is somebody who has perfect, what he would say is perfect fear of the Lord, which is a technical term used by uh, many early Christians to refer to this state of being where if you have fear of the Lord, you're not afraid of anything else, right? God is the only thing that's fear of God is not a timorous fear. It's not a shaking fear. Some angry God's going to smite you and set you on fire after you die. But fear of the Lord is the recognition that he's the most powerful thing in the universe. And to have the fear of God means that you fear nothing less than him. You are in, essentially unconquerable and invincible to all else, to any other circumstances, whether it's a small, tiny microbe, that you know, plague a pandemic that unleashes itself on the world, or whether it's total destitution and ruin, or people threatening to take your life, you have no fear of them because they are—they're not worthy of being afraid of. They're not worthy of your fear, uh, and so that's what that self-mastery is: is because then you align yourself to that which is highest, that which is most noble, and a person in that state, Benedict says, is somebody who's no longer actually driven by fear. He says, they are driven not by fear, but by love, because true love, the perfect love that casts out fear. And by contrast, prior to that stage, most of what you do is driven by fear. Most of us, Benedict would say today, looking around, as in his day, and there are a lot of similarities socially, culturally to that, uh, between ours and his. He would look around and say, most people are living entirely driven by fear and anxiety. And this heart of the rule, that is the, the ladder of humility, is the cure to overcoming those anxieties, to, uh, to be able to dwell in yourself, in your fullness, to become fully human, and not to become merely a prey to the fears and anxieties which drive your whims, um, which drive the various news sources and rumors and things that, that motivate your actions, but to be truly master of yourself in a way that stoicism as such, uh, which I know is very popular today in certain circles, um, you know, the, the, the obstacles, the way, Ryan Holiday is really big writing about this. Tim Ferriss, of course, talks. And this is, I think it's an excellent first step, but Benedict is able to bring even more refined psychology to that. Uh, and that's what I think a great benefit of the book, The Rules for Gentlemen, is, is a distillation of those key points of the rule framed in terms of chivalry because that's what we're called to we all uh, as men need to embody and women for that matter too this is not uh, sex specific but to become chivalrous 
historically, there's a lot we could go into, perhaps we will uh, in the course of the conversation, but historically, chivalry and the rule of St. Benedict have been intimately linked, uh, historically speaking. But, uh, but the notion of becoming master of yourself, um, master of yourself by being the servant to, to something greater than yourself. Uh, that's, that's at the heart of what chivalry is, and that's really what we need more than ever today. Uh, and, and the ladder of humility is the program through which we can do that interiorly as an indiv- as a person, as, a, as an individual person. And then a lot of the rest of the rules for gentlemen, the rest of the code of chivalry is about how we interact with others. Then. Yeah. I, I think myself included, a lot of people really struggle with the first one, self-knowledge. And we all, I think we can really easily get caught up in this myself. Yeah, obviously um, not being aware and being a, a, a servant almost to these anxieties. So let's talk, get, let's get really practical here. How do we then become more self-aware so then we can move on to this, you know, self-acceptance and then on to this, this fear of God? Let me actually grab <laughs> my copy of it right here. Um, but to get really, really granular, uh, how do you grow in self-knowledge? I'd say the first thing to notice is that it's not a process of adding something, right? Especially, which is, which is a relief because we're inundated, we're bugged to death by all sorts of things that we need to add and do and learn. We're bugged to death with information. We're, we're saturated with it. But it's a process rather of removing things. So to grow in self-knowledge begins with being attentive to the world around you and consider yourself at all times to be already present before the judgment seat of God. This is how Benedict frames it. Um, in the, the, the back of the book, Rules for Gentlemen, um, we'll see. We'll, we'll, so this is my extrapolation from this and put into more practical psychological terms. The first rung of the ladder is to overcome distractedness and forgetfulness by becoming mindful of the world around you, engaging fully in the present moment and attentive to the task at hand. In this present moment, you already stand before the face of God in all that you do. It's first a removal of all other distractions and recognize at the deepest metaphysical level where you are right now in what you're doing. Uh, that's the first step in self-knowledge. Has nothing, no, no reference to self, no reference to looking at yourself. It's not navel-gazing, but it's instead, it's trying to cut out all that dissipation and to begin to concentrate, to begin to just simply be comfortable being where you are doing what you're doing. Um, the, 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 there's a Buddhist writer who's been around now for a couple of decades. Thich Nhat Hanh, I think is, is his name. Uh, he, he famously describes sort of a Zen approach to this as, as simply when you're washing the dishes, be washing the dishes. Don't be arguing with that, you know, with your coworker from three hours ago in the conversation that you had had in your head, you know, when you're washing the dishes, be washing the dishes. It's, it's, it's similar to that kind of thing. Um, so if you, if you want to, if we can proceed, we can, we can go through the first couple of stages, say with self-knowledge. So it's cutting things away. And the first thing is overcoming distractedness, which you'll notice is an anxiety. There's an existential anxiety there that's being overcome uh, because most people are not comfortable sitting with themselves. Um, I guess one could say that even before you begin on this way, the question is, do you really want to know yourself? Do you really want to know the truth? Because in the words of the, uh, 
in the words of the gnome from Neverending Story, uh, when he, uh, in which you should all watch, it's a very important life life uh, lessons in there. The overcome the the really bad tech effects of 1980s uh, movie technology, but watch Neverending Story. Even better, read it. But the the gnome he says to Atreyu, who has to go on this quest. Uh, they, you know, there's a number of challenges that he has to overcome. The, the third uh, challenge that he has to overcome is to face this mirror, which shows every man his true self. Uh, and he said, "Oh, that's okay. Fine. It shows me who I am." And 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 the uh, the, the the alchemist essentially is what this guy is. Is no, 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 no. Most men, when they see their true selves, they run away screaming. Like even the bravest of men cannot bear to face the reality of their true selves, of who they are, of truly seeing themselves. I suppose you could say it's not their true self, but it's their false self that they really are or have been, have been, have become. So the first thing, which is also for that matter, how we must approach the notion of, of entering onto the noble way of becoming a gentleman of, of embarking on the path of chivalry is that when you first open the book, Right. This is do not easily grant entrance to those newly come to this noble way of life, but test the spirit to see if their heart is true. If someone truly seeks God and is eager for the challenges of this more noble way of life, while aware of all its hardships and responsibilities, then let them learn the code of chivalry and so on. And so beginning on this path is, I mean, this path is not a safe path. Uh, and to begin to live by this book is not a safe book, Right. Uh, your other self-help books are safe. This is something where you have to be sincere in seeking yourself because you will see things about yourself and about the world around you that can be very painful. And these are each, each of these things are dragons that, you, that can be slain. Uh, um, but to face down a dragon is no small task. So the first stage, the first rung of the ladder uh, is to overcome distractions, to bring yourself back into the present moment. The second rung on the ladder is to practice communicating with others clearly, gently, and attentively. So begin to develop the skills to speak well and articulately. Again, this is not about looking at yourself, but it's cutting out the extra words, cutting out the extra chatter that come from you, uh, learning how to communicate clearly to other people. And then thirdly, so that's the way that you say things. And then thirdly, we finally get to the what you say. The third rung is to say what you mean and mean what you say. That is to say, overcoming the anxiety of cynicism, sarcasm, and jokesterism. Having to always crack a joke, be sarcastic or cynical, uh, to laugh. We often hide behind laughter as a mask. Uh, we often hide behind cynicism and sarcasm in order to avoid confronting reality. Conf confrontation doesn't need to be confrontational. It's just much more comfortable not to actually enter into the real world. So again, we're overcoming this anxiety of, of hiding behind sarcasm and all the various masks. So to practice sincerity and genuineness with others is the third stage in learning yourself. When you do these things, you will, you will learn more about yourself. You will come to know yourself better, not only things about yourself, but know yourself as a human being, as in the way that we, I know a person is different than I just know about a person. Say, I know Jack is a very different statement to say, well, I know about Jack, he's this, that kind of person, but I don't know him personally. You get to know yourself personally. And then the fourth rung, uh, that would be the final rung in terms of the first stage of self-knowledge, uh, that would be to practice sitting in silence and overcome the anxiety of needing constant noise and constant stimulation. So become comfortable with silence, both exterior silence and interior silence. 
which is very hard to do. I would never recommend to jump into the fourth round. You start with the first one and you work your way there. If you practice one of these a week in that order, so first week, bringing yourself, letting go of distractions and bring yourself into the present moment. In the second week, practice communicating with others, clear, practice, practice speaking clearly, speaking well. And the third week, you practice saying what you mean and being sincere with people. Say what you mean, only what you mean. Um, and, and then the fourth week, practicing silence, you will discover that over the course of a month, you'll really have undergone a profound transformation. Uh, particularly if you, you don't just casually practice it, but you make very intentionally uh, a practice of this. And this is my goal for the week. And every day I'm going to sort of do a mental self-check at the end of the day on what worked and what didn't work and try and improve that for the next day. When you do that over the course of four weeks, um, you, it's, it's, been sh it's been shown, done studies, uh, empirically, you, you are less anxious. Uh, you, you grow to have greater confidence and you actually begin to develop uh, this, this classical virtue of humility, which is, is that it's that map becoming master of yourself. It's only the first stage. It's the beginning of the beginner's way, right? Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a growth that you have to go through. So once we get through all, all of this to this, um, this mastery of self, so to speak, this mm -hmm. humility, then, then we get into the role of mission and purpose, which is something that I like to talk about a lot here. And one of the main purposes of this podcast is, is about helping uh, men find you know, purpose and mission and anybody in general. Mm -hmm. So once we kind of get this mastery of ourselves, where does the role of our mission and this broader, uh, greater purpose outside of ourselves, how does that come in now? Your mission is at the core of who you are, right? Each person, it's bound up, your identity is bound up with your mission. Uh, it's just a existential truth of what it means to be a human person. You have a God-given mission. You were created in this world to do a certain thing, maybe a very concrete, specific thing, or maybe a, a general um, action that can be carried out in a variety of different ways throughout the course of your life. But you have a mission, and uh, to really fully be yourself, right? To be able, how do we say, you know, it's, it's uh, been said that the heart of true greatness, uh, magnanimity, right? The striving after greatness, the virtue of striving after greatness is your mission, your mission, discovering and living out your mission uh, is the heart, is, is, is really the heart of, of accomplishing greatness, of achieving true human greatness. And so you must understand your mission um, and that you, cannot really understand your mission unless you understand yourself, unless you know your story. Uh, and so I think that's, that's, it's absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential. Uh, and to be able to carry it out, to equip yourself to be able to carry out your mission, because it's no good if you know what your mission is, but you find yourself totally incapable of carrying it out. And you're only able to carry it out when the, the more that you are master of yourself, the more you will be able to carry it out. And the code of chivalry essentially boils down to the realization and the living out in reality of the fact that you can only be truly be master of yourself when you are the servant of a higher master. And historically, uh, you know, throughout Christendom, uh, the history of, of, of Christianity in, in Europe and throughout the West, in its various forms, uh, has always been the recognition that that Christ is the master even, even before the incarnation. God 
is the king of the universe, right? He's conceived as king of the universe. He's the emperor. And the, the knight has always understood himself as a servant of servants. He's the servant of God. And that's what it means to be a paladin, uh, is to be a servant in the emperor's palace. Uh, and, and whether that's, and that's always worked at two levels, uh, historically in this manifestation is two levels, one sort of at a, at a deeper spiritual level that God is the emperor and, and the knight, which the English word knight literally means servant, uh, which is the same as samurai for that matter. Um, one who serves the um, uh, God as the emperor, but also then oftentimes right in its material manifestation, that the uh, sort of the socio-political structure that a knight is literally in service to a, a higher lord or a king, a, a duke of some sort, uh, any rank of nobleman. But even the nobleman considers himself a servant of the king and the king considers himself a servant of God, right? So there's this chain of being, there's this chain of service. So that everybody is under obedience to somebody else in that way, um, in the way that we owe allegiance. So to be master of yourself is not an autonomous act. But to be master of yourself is, it can only really happen when you're embedded in service to a higher master. Yeah, a lot of people today seem to really struggle with that idea of like, we want, you know, our freedom. We want to do what we want to do. and We don't want to submit our wills to mm -hmm. somebody else's. And secondarily to that, how do you think mag magnanimity then comes in to make us, you know, this fully ourselves and to understand how freedom understood in that manner applies? I think that when we find ourselves in a position of demanding our rights to behave the way we want to, uh, we find ourselves deficient. You know, I want to be free to do what I want to do is somebody who's driven by their whims because a person who reacts that way is clear that they do not have the depth of interiority necessary to really know, let alone accomplish, what it is that they truly want at the core of their being. And so this is somebody who lacks virtue. They lack the virtue of magnanimity. In fact, they're driven by smallness. Most of the, what is driving them is an anxiety of some sort. It's a fear. It's a fear that I'm being suppressed by somebody else. And you may in fact be being suppressed materially, socially, and otherwise, but the path to true freedom is not somehow legally to restrict that, that suppression. That may be a good and a necessary thing, but it's insufficient. You need to become master of yourself. Uh, and, and that's an interior thing, an interior deepening that must happen. And that can only happen with the virtue of magnanimity, uh, of magnanimity, magnanimitas. That means greatness of spirit, uh, great heartedness. Um, and that is, that is striving after greatness. The recognition and affirmation in your deeds that you are made worthy of accomplishing great things, that you're made worthy of accomplishing great things. And as I said earlier, a key part of that, really the heart of that capacity, that capability is a recognition of your mission because that's something bigger than anything that you come up against in day-to-day -day life. Uh, it's a motivation to get out of bed in the morning. It's something that you, if, if you will, it's very close to the fear of God as, as understood by, by St. Benedict and, and um, uh, people in the ancient world that this is something bigger than you and that if you cling to, you do not fear these other petty inconveniences that life presents you with. And so that's where true freedom lies, is becoming a master of yourself. And this is, this is magnanimity. You need magnanimity. And we talk about um, that the core of, of chivalry is, is humility, this, this ladder of humility, which is true. But the, psychologically speaking, uh, humility and magnanimity are like two, two chambers of your heart, the two sides of your heart that pump the lifeblood into your, your whole being. 
they're not opposites, but striving after greatness and true humility, magnanimity and humility are, are two sides of the same coin. They're the same, essentially the same muscle flexed in different ways. I think a lot of people have a hard time finding their mission, first of all. And then sometimes that, that mission um, bleeds into vocation. So how, first of all, how do you think men and, and women should look to find their mission? And then how do they put that into effect in the world today? Uh, that's a great question. That's because that's, that's fundamentally what it's about. Right? I don't know what a thing is, but uh, there's plenty of information. You can Google anything, but you can't discover what your mission is. So how, how do I do that? This is not a new problem either. It's maybe perhaps a uniquely modern problem, but it's not new to the 21st century. Uh, the question of how. So practically speaking, um, you need, it's an act of contemplation. It involves a lot of hard work of contemplation. What um, Cal Newport would call deep work, if you're familiar with that concept. Uh, again, pulling away from the social media, pulling away distractions. It's interesting. He, he recommends a lot of the same things, uh, these timeless uh, practical things to do, uh, go back almost 2000 years and, and more to pull away from the distractions. But to begin to discover yourself, um, your, your mission is inseparable from your story. You need to begin to delve into your past, not just your personal past, but uh, who live, understanding who lives on in you, but concretely, who are the real persons that continue to live on in you because by blood, perhaps because you are actually in fact descended from them, but also in a sort of a you know, spiritual mothers and fathers sort of way, who are the people that have had an impact on your life that have imported to you something of themselves? Um, and, and how does that affect who you are? You have to look at what your talents are. What are your skills? What are those things that you're innately good at? What, what is it you're really passionate about? What is the social um, challenge in the world that you feel cold, that you just feel you have this immediate reaction to, to respond to with, with zeal and dedication? Um, I will say uh, it's hard to do entirely on your own. This is something that I have spent a lot of time with. I, in, in one of the hats that I wear, uh, working for the Virtuous Leadership Institute, uh, uh, which is a global organization uh, centered around the idea of magnanimity and humility, I have given a lot of workshops specifically on how to discover your mission. You know, if you can find someone to help you do that. One of the recent projects, and I, I not to just do a self-promotional plug here as part of this, but this, this very question is something I've been addressing recently, and this is my most recent project, springboarding from the, the book, Rules for Gentlemen, uh, Code of Chivalry, is, is to actually institute a new organization called a, a new chivalry or a new Christian chivalry. Uh, for those who are interested in that, uh, you can find more about it, and I'll, I'll send you the link so you can plug it into your show notes or whatever you have for them. But anewchivalry.com, that's anewchivalry.com. Um, one of the core elements of and there's, there's a, both a social response, as we see uh, particularly in June of 2020, the last six months, the total, total uh, collapse of society around us, at least the total acceleration of the gradual collapse of society all around us, in society. Uh, but also there's a much deeper interior element to it, which is inseparable from the social aspect of chivalry. And that is a deepening understanding of who you are, what your mission is. Uh, and so that's something that um, we as, a, as an organization do to help men to discover their mission, discover their story. What is their lineage? What is the story that you're already a part of? And I think that's, 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 that could be a help for anybody who is so inclined 
to look into what we do, uh, the new glory, and and really begin to apply some of these things to our life. Uh, it'll be it's it's beginning, it's sort of just launched in the last few weeks. And but uh, practically speaking, you need to understand who you are and who lives on it. Uh, and I can say more about that, but I'm a professor and I know I'm going to rambling on. So I'll let you say something in between here. <laughs> That's great. It's great. So I know in your book, you talk about how men can live as knights. And I wanted to ask you, how do you think men can live as knights today in the middle of the world? Yeah, the, um, to how to live as a knight today, it's not merely historical. Um, there was a historical manifestation of the eternal spirit of chivalry. Chivalry is an immortal uh, spirit that is embodied in different periods of time due to the historical context to the degree that men and women allow that imprint to, to be the spirit of chivalry to be imprinted on their hearts. So historically you look at the knight, uh, the knight in training armor who goes out and fights other knights, right? Uh, chivalry is not about pulling out chairs or holding doors or something like the mere polite, the bourgeois politeness. In fact, it's fundamentally unbourgeois, uh, the way of chivalry, uh, more about that in, in various Writings, uh, you know, again on the website newchivalry.com, you see more more details about some of this philosophical background. But the essential core of it is that it is about attaining self master, conquering yourself in service to a higher good, to serve all that is, to serve that which is truly sacred and holy in the world, often hidden in the world, and the order that radiates out from that. Uh, so that means extending the sway of justice, fighting injustice, to pres- to to seek out and reclaim and recultivate all that is best and noblest in humanity. That is what chivalry means. And that is the task of every man and woman in our day. We need to, not everyone will respond to that call, Um, but we don't need everyone to respond to that call. Uh, In our day, as in any day, the people who respond to that call are going to be few, but though the few, when they rise, they will bring with them the whole of humanity. But we do need champions of justice, champions of virtue, uh, who are serving, dedicating themselves to serve that which is sacred. That's what chivalry means. What do you see right now in, in, with the, the kind of craziness that's been going on in the world today? Yeah, how do, how do men step up into those roles um, in the world right now? I think first and foremost, it's important to go deep before you go wild uh, rather than simply reacting and responding because recognizing that we are so much driven by these external influences like I said, these anxieties, and, which ultimately manifest in us as, as anxieties and fears um, at, a deep, at, the deep, at their deepest level, at the root, that's what they are. Uh, but to be non-reactive, but in order to be pro, proactive. And so I think the first thing to do is really to go deep, to understand who you are, understand what your mission and your vocation is. Because otherwise you might throw yourself head, wholeheartedly, uh, perhaps headstrongly, uh, into the wrong kind of action or the wrong kind of activity. And I don't say do not act. That would do, do not shrink back from addressing the challenges of today, but to do so with a clear head. I don't mean take years to try and figure yourself out or something absurd like this, but I mean really begin to, and there's an urgency to this because you need to respond and you need to respond now. So the first step in response is getting to know, is growing in self-knowledge and self-acceptance so that you can be truly humble and magnanimous enough to respond with true human greatness, to respond with justice and not merely reactivity, which breeds further injustice, right? Don't become part of the, uh, the rioting mob 
who in their demand for justice are burning down the city I was born in and uh, people being slain in the streets. This is absurd. This is not, this is not how to pursue justice. This is, this is a reign of chaos. But rather to, to pursue true justice requires that you go deep interiorly as the first stage. Begin to go deep. Understand who you are. Begin to discover what your mission is so that you can throw yourself behind that particular thing. Um, it's also how you be more effective, is to concentrate. Uh, there's a great writer who's uh, is a contemporary now. Um, I've only recently discovered him, and his name escapes me right now. Uh, he was born in Kiev in the Ukraine, and, but he is an author, he's the author of the book Laurus. Uh, perhaps you can find the name of this person, but he, he talks about the age of concentration, that we need to enter into a deeper concentration, uh, contemplation of really going deep. Uh, we've, we've lived very broadly up to this present period. In the modern period, it's ca characterized by broad horizontality. It'd be very horizontal and leveling. And he says, now the need, we're entering into a new era, really, we are. Uh, and, you, we, and we see this manifest uh, in, in sort of social and political uh, circumstances of our day. Where we, need to go, we need to concentrate energy to go deep, uh, to develop that sort of a metaphysical, a deeper metaphysics and interiority. And that's, uh, I think that's an essential part of what we're all called to at this particular moment. Uh, so pray for one, uh, spend time reflecting on your story, who you are, discover what it is that you're good at, uh, those natural talents that you have, understand your temperament, your basic psychology. What are you, how are you made? Cause we're not all made the same, right? Um, you know, are you a loud and boisterous person by nature? Or are you a quiet, contemplative person by nature? Are you more of a go-getter to get things done? Or are you more, uh, you may consider yourself more practical, uh, pragmatic, or rational oriented, and you want to make sure that everything keeps level and sustainable and makes sense. Uh, because depending on, on how you're made is going to be something that's a natural fit for you in terms of what you must do uh, versus something else. Because we're all made differently. What suits one person does not suit another person. So you need to understand, begin to understand yourself uh, in this and, and to pray. But I think fundamentally it's a turn of heart to say, I will dedicate myself to, to chivalry. I'll dedicate myself to reclaiming all that is good, true, and beautiful. So what would you say to, to men and women who are listening to this right now and they're hearing this message for the first time? What would you say, like, how would you motivate them to take this first step towards acting this way in the middle of the world? Yeah, I would say essentially that um, I don't have to say anything to motivate them because uh, you, if you're listening to this, don't need the motivation. You know that you need this uh, in terms of your motivation. I will say, though, that the world needs this from you today. That really the need today, uh, as in any day, and today as never before, is of men and women who can rise higher, see further than others, uh, who can truly accomplish great things and bring with them the whole of humanity. Uh, the world needs this. Society needs this. You're not called to preserve a falling order, but to serve that which is hidden, that which is sacred in the world. You know that you have this need, this desire. You know there's something. You know you need something. You can feel it, that restlessness in your heart that would not be there if there were not something that needs to be different. You know that you're called to something greater than what you're living right now. And I encourage you to enter into that space where you have that, where you feel that feeling of restlessness in order to find the source of that rest, to find the place where you can find rest, 
where your heart can be at peace. And that is going to require you to go deep. That is going to require you to let go of many things around you. And I encourage you to do what you can to let go of those barriers in order to let the light shine in so that you can discover your story, learn and live out what your mission is in order to truly dedicate yourself to do something greater than yourself. And so doing that together, we will be able to transform the world. Awesome. I think that's a great place to end. Now, where can people go to find more about your work, Dr. Thompson? Uh, primarily due to the, the exigencies of the present moment, the needs of the day, I would say go first to the website for the new Christian chivalry. That is a new chivalry.com www.anewchivalry.com and, and uh, otherwise cameronmthompson.com uh, you can find more about uh, some, I've got a blog on cameronmthompson.com you can find other works that I've written other things I find interesting that other people have written or said uh, that have largely been forgotten or overlooked that I'm resharing with the world I publish a lot of things on there uh, there's some good resources uh, that I believe will be helpful uh, on my personal website there. But I really do encourage you to, first of all, look at inuchivalry.com if you feel the call to respond to the needs of the present day. Uh, but yeah, cameronmthompson.com for, for all other things. Uh, and feel free to drop me a line if you find me on Twitter, Facebook, wherever. That's at C. Mikhail Thompson. Uh, that's M-I-K-A-E-L-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N with the first initial C is in Cameron. Um, you can find me out there. Google's an amazing resource for just typing in a name and popping up all sorts of things with people. Uh, I'm not the former you know, prime minister of Australia. I'm not the football player or the seven-year-old chess whiz or whatever. This is the Cameron Thompson's of the problem. I'm not those guys, right? I'm this other guy. Uh, and, and so that's, that's where the internet's an amazing place. Awesome. Well, I've gotten a ton out of this conversation and I hope we can do it again in the future. Me too, yeah. It'd be lovely. All right. Thank you, Vince. Thank you. Well, that was my guest, Dr. Cameron M. Thompson, who's an anthropologist, writer, and doctor of psychology. You can find his book, Rules for Gentlemen, A Code of Chivalry, on Amazon and his personal website. I hope you got something out of this episode like I did, and I look forward to having you come back for the next one.